All right, uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and get them out. We're going to the book of Mark. The book of Mark. Now, we, uh, we're glad you're here this morning. Uh, for real, get your book, uh, Bibles out. Go to the book of Mark. Uh, if you don't have one, our ushers will bring you a Bible. If you don't own one, you can keep that one and consider it uh, a gift. We would love for you to have it. Uh, Marion, I think you got the whole room here, so it's all on you. Uh, so she's going to cover the whole thing. Uh, but uh, no, if uh, if you need to borrow one, that's fine. Get one from her, and uh, if uh, if you need uh, if you don't own one, we'd love for you to keep that one. Uh, we've uh, man, we've got a lot of just amazing stuff going on right now in the life of our church. And in fact, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here and say uh, if if this is your church home, if you feel led here, if this is like uh, you know you're you're feeling a draw, Lord's doing something here for you, and I hope that He is. Uh, then uh, please don't miss. Starting next week for like a month and a half, we're going to be going through some stuff together. Please don't miss what we're going to be talking about. We've already been like little by little, like pulling some leadership folks in and uh, folks that are just faithful and serving in different ways and things into uh, this conversation of of what's going on within our church. And uh, we had a vision night actually here recently and uh, all this stuff. But in general, I just I just want to encourage you, please, if you can, uh, try try to be here over the next several weeks. We're going to be talking through uh, uh, the culmination of a whole bunch of things that we've been talking about uh, for a year or better now uh, that God has put on our heart, that he's leading us to, uh, and action steps are in place and things are about to happen, uh, and it's exciting. And, and we, don't, we don't want you to miss out. So uh, if you can be here, we'd love for you to be here. Uh, it's going to be going to be going to be some cool stuff. So uh, that's happening starting next Sunday. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, pretty pretty amazing. Some of the things that we're seeing the Lord do right now, and thank you for uh, your faithfulness and being a part of many of those things. And uh, it's good stuff. Um, so the passage that we're looking at today in the Book of Mark, uh, we'll be taking a, a break from the Book of Mark actually uh, after this week too for a little while. Uh, but the passage that we're looking at today in the Book of Mark is just uh, you know coming along uh, as we've been studying through the Book of Mark together. Uh, and this passage comes just in line with uh, the ones that we've been doing over the last several weeks, months, and uh, really last year. Uh, we started in February of last year, uh, and. Uh, this passage is, is a great passage. It's a passage that uh, you hear a lot of people quote, uh, and, and oftentimes it's being quoted uh, when uh, people are talking about taxes. Uh, everybody, everybody loves taxes, right? We love to pay our taxes. Everybody loves to pay taxes. Man, aren't we excited about paying taxes? Yeah, well, we're going to get an uproar going on. Thought the Sarah McLaughlin fans were going to come get me. Now I'm worried about the tax, the tax people. So, but no, um, but no. So you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. Tax is one of those things that uh, you know we got to do it or whatever. And uh, in fact, I'll tell you this. Uh, you know, back years ago, gosh, when when we first started the church and. Uh, I started just trying to figure out like some way to like help us pay our bills, and we were you know trying to figure out you know what could I do. And I was working for a machine shop friend of mine uh, has owned for a long time, and I'd worked for him on and off uh, through uh, through the years, uh, through high school and college and everything else, and even while I was a youth pastor. And and then um, uh, so I, I just felt you know like I got to figure out something I can do on my own time. And so then I figured out, well, I, I could do this with the side business thing that uh, I still have now, but it was, you know, just this little, hey, we're just going to do a little something here and there. And, 
make a little extra money, and uh, and it was starting to, it was starting to kind of get you know a little bit more steady and that kind of thing. And one of my friends, one of my pastor friends, he he looked at me one day. We were talking about. It. He's like, "So what, what are you doing?" And I told him about it, and he's like, "Oh, so you you're making a little bit of money?" I was like, "Yeah, it's it's you know it's not terrible." I was like, "You know, it's work. It's like anything else." And he says to me, he says, "You know, um, you." You uh, so I guess you're I guess you're paying taxes on that, and I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I'm just selling junk, and reselling it on Craigslist. I, you know, I don't, I really hadn't thought about it, and he's like, okay, and the conversation went on, and later in the conversation, he said, does it bother you that you're not paying taxes on that? I mean, you feel like you feel like okay with the Lord about that? And I was like, man. Putting a hurt on me, shots fired. Like you know, I I pick up what you're putting down, you know, and uh, and I was like, you know, now that you say it, I was like, yeah, I guess that's not good. Like, and I was like, well, I don't even know what to do with that. And he was like, well, you have a business, you probably like need to start a business. And I was like, well, that sounds like a lot of work, you know. <laughs> and so. Long story short, I started a business right after that, you know, so, uh, but you know, that's part of it, you know, it's part of, you know, part of getting to live in a country, getting to live, uh, you know, and have a government and all these things, and we've got to pay toward all this stuff, and I mean, it's just, it's part of life, and this passage of scripture does talk about that, and in fact, if you, if you really want to get legit, like, in understanding, like, what it looks like of what, you know, what God says about us paying taxes and, and, and all those kinds of things, uh, I'd recommend go, ch- go check out Romans 13 because Paul talks about it and he refers back to this, you know, this passage kind of is the building block for what he talks about in Romans 13 where he really, really irons that out. And, uh, but in this passage, it's talked about and it's a question, but it's a question with a catch. Because this is, I'll just kind of remind us where we are in the passage here. We are still at this point where like we are literally just days before they are going to kill Jesus. Okay? And so in these days before they're going to kill Jesus, one of the things that is happening is they are trying to find a way to catch him in something to be able to kill him. In fact, we'll see some literal like word stuff here in just a second that will help help even kind of help us have a, a better understanding of that. But one of the things that they're talking about and that they start asking Jesus with, and it's all just it's all loaded questions. In fact, it's not just this passage, it's many others. The one that's after it's the same way, and 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 so so on and so forth. But it's loaded questions to try to catch Jesus to get him to say something to use against him. Let's just look at it. Let's just see it together. Mark chapter 12, verse 13. And it says this. It says, and they sent, we're going to talk about who they is in just a minute. And they sent to him, him being Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Now I want to time out and just kind of stop right there because Pharisees and Herodians are not friends. Okay. It's like the shark and fish thing, you know, fish are food, you know, all that stuff. And, and so, you know, uh, Pharisees and Herodians are not buddies. They don't party together. They don't hang out. They, you know, what, whatever. And, and, and so for us to have this understanding, the last time that we saw the Pharisees and the Herodians doing something together was also in the book of Mark, chapter 3, verse 6. Now, if you don't remember what that was, it's this, they are conspiring together to plot 
to kill Jesus. That's what the Pharisees and the Herodians are doing together. The only other time that we see them conspiring to do anything or hanging out at all, that's what they're doing is they're trying to figure out already chapter 3 of Mark, how to go about killing Jesus. Now, that's chapter 3. We're on on chapter 12 now. Here we are, like literally on the week that they're going to kill Jesus. And what are they doing? They're plotting to kill Jesus. How do we know that? Because it tells us so. Here it is right here. Start again. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. So two kind of people groups in the Jewish culture. All right. To trap him in his talk. To trap him in his talk. Now, the the word that is used in the Greek for trap right here, and it'll be catch in some translations or whatever, but the word that is being used in the Greek here, this trap, is to take, means to take by hunting. So it is literally how we would assume like the word trap might have meant you know, long time ago, even our ancestors, when it, you know, I've got ancestors, my dad still talks about back in the day when he used to go trapping and all this kind of stuff. You don't hear me, I don't hear a lot of people talking about trapping these days. You know, it's not like a, you know, hey, let's go do some trapping this afternoon, you know, kind of thing. Uh, although I know, I actually do know some folks in the church that do. But I mean, it's one of those things like, it's, it's literally what it sounds like to take by hunting. So they are going to Jesus. They have been sent by someone else. We're going to talk about that in a minute. They sent them, these two groups of people who do not get along and they are enemies, but they have a common enemy. And sometimes enemies work together when they have a common enemy. And they have come to trap, take by hunting him in his talk. In his talk. In other words, they're trying to get him to say something that they can use against him so that they can kill him. All right? Verse 14, it says, And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Now, what they're saying there is true, but they are completely, completely bogus with, what, with how they're saying. They're, they're trying to flatter Jesus, all right? They're, they're, try, they're trying to build him up, you know, to butter him up, you know, to make him feel like, and, and, not, and just, just keep in mind here, too, there's a crowd, okay? There's a crowd here. There's a lot of people watching. There's a lot of, a lot of people in on this conversation. It's not just Jesus and these people by themselves. It's, it's Jesus in front of a crowd being asked questions in front of lots of people, and they're coming with this, these, they're about to come with these questions, and they're buttering him up, but they're also buttering up the crowd. They're also, they're also saying these things in front of the crowd for the crowd to have this like feeling of like, oh, oh, they, they really, they really believe in the things that Jesus says, you know? Because, you know, a lot of these people in this crowd, they're still trying to figure out for themselves who is this Jesus guy. And so they say all these things, you know, you're not swayed by appearances and blah, 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 and it's just a bunch of baloney. And then it goes on and it says, is it lawful? So then so they've done the buttering up now, right? And so here comes the question. Here comes the question. It says, is it lawful 
to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? So they've come to Jesus, and, and it, so, it sounds like a really simple question, right? You will not believe the angles that we're going to hit by the time we're done with this thing. Like, it sounds like such a simple question, like they're going to Jesus and saying, hey, do we need to pay our taxes? Simple yes or no, right? Hmm, not, not necessarily the case. So again, let's remember, why did they come? First of all, they were sent, all right? They were sent, it says, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. And they sent to him. Who is they? Who sent them? We are pretty sure that they were sent by the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, however you want to say it. These are the people that were in charge. These were religious leaders. These were government officials. They wanted to do away with Jesus. They already knew that the Pharisees and the Herodians were on board with the whole plan of like, they've been, they've been plotting to kill them. They've been hearing about this, I'm sure, you know, in, the, in the, the back conversations of things going on, and they're like, hey, those guys, they're on our side. Let's, let's send those guys in and try to trap him with his words so that we can kill him. And so they come to Jesus and they ask what seems like a simple question, but you got to remember that the reason that they're there is they're trying to trick him, to trap him with his words. Jesus sees through their bologna sandwiches. He is not buying the buttering up. He knows that they're asking this question on purpose, and he even calls it out. In fact, it says in verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? <laughs> Why put me to the test? Don't, don't you wish that in those moments in life when you know that somebody is coming up to you and they're saying something to you and you know that they're lying? Like, yeah, I'm just talking about like, you know, the random whatever at the supermarket kind of conversation. You know, you've, you've had one of those conversations at least once in your life where somebody walks up to you and they're just, they're feeding you you know, just a, just a line of bull, and you're like, I, I know what you're saying. Don't you just wish that in that moment that you had the foresight to just in that moment say, why put me to the test by this wheat bread, right? You know, don't, don't, you, don't you just wish that in that moment you'd be willing to say that or that you would think to say that or whatever it is? And so Jesus, in this moment, he calls it for what it is. He says, why put me to the test Bring me a denarii and let me look at it. Bring me a denarii and let me look at it. Now, what's a, what's a denarii? A denarii is a coin, okay? And this was, this, was, this was a coin issued by the Roman government, okay? And, and, and this, was, you know, this was how they would pay for things. I mean, it's just like our currency. We have coins and all that kind of stuff, uh, although we don't use coins as much as we used to. Uh, but coins, big deal, especially back then. This was made of silver. It was usually like 3.5, 3.8 grams or so. And, uh, and, and, of course, it was stamped with the stuff for the government and everything. And, and, and we'll get to that in just a minute. And, and so Jesus is, Jesus is purposeful here. Notice Jesus hasn't answered the question yet. In fact, Jesus didn't answer the question yet, and he's already asked them a question. He's already asked them a question, which, of course, is the one I just said. Why put me to the test? 
bring me a denarii and let me look at it. And it says in verse 16, and they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's, Caesar's. So Jesus has them go find one of these coins. They bring it to him. He holds it up. He sees a face on it, sees a head on it, like many of the coins that we're used to seeing. And he says, Who, who's on this coin? Who's, whose is this? What, what's, what's, that, what's that on there? Who's, who's on that? And they say, it's Caesar's. Caesar's. And then Jesus says this statement that maybe you've heard quoted by somebody at some point in time, and it says this. It says, Jesus said to them, verse 17, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So, Jesus encounters a question. A question that seems so simple. Are we supposed to pay our taxes, Jesus? Are we supposed to pay the Roman government what they say that they are due. Now, let me, let me kind of give us, let's give us a little back, let's give a little backstory on this because there's some pieces of this that for you and I, if we just took this in this day and age, you know, we, we're used to paying taxes and we understand it goes to, you know, pay for all the things that the government does and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, and so, you know, as part of this, I think that it's important for us to understand a little bit of the history. The Jewish people at large were extremely upset about paying taxes. And here's why. They were paying taxes to the Roman Empire. You see, generations before, Roman Empire came in and took over. So in a way, they felt like we're paying taxes to somebody that's not our people. These are not our people. These are not the people that we would choose. And by the way, uh, that's, that's a great segue to just kind of bring up the fact that, like, you know, I know that our country's got a lot of issues, but, hey, you know, hey, we, we get to live in a country where we do still get to vote, and we do have people, I think, that are still out there trying to do uh, good things and got into the positions that they got into because they, that they felt called to them and want to, want to make the world a better place and make our country a better place and the places that we live better places. Uh, and, you know, so praise God for that, you know, and, and we don't say that enough. Um, and so, you know, for them, they saw it as, well, we're not paying, we're not paying taxes to our people. We're paying taxes to those people and they're just doing whatever they want to. And of course, all kinds of corruption. And we have all kinds of historical background, including scripture, uh, to show us like all the, you know, all this stuff of like what tax collectors do and, you know, how they would, you know, steal from people and, you know, overcharge them and all these things. And people didn't have, there wasn't much they could do about it. They just kind of had to live with it. Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus is no dummy. This question that they are posing would go badly for him if he answered it either way. If Jesus point blank says, yes, you should pay your taxes to Caesar, then the people, the Herodians and the Pharisees that are asking the question, they know that the people at large will not be happy with that. 
because the people at large were not, were not happy about the fact that they needed to pay taxes to the Roman government anyway. And, and they knew that this would help create a revolt toward him, which that wasn't what he was looking for on this day. But Jesus is smart. Jesus is smart, and he's, he knows it's not time for him to go to be killed, although it's, it's coming in really in just a couple days at this point in Scripture. And so Jesus plays with the words. And remember what he asked? What did he ask for? Give me a denarii. Let me, let me see one of those things. And they cough one up, and sure enough, he holds it up. Who's, whose image is on this? Whose image is on this denarii? And they say, Caesar's. And then Jesus says that statement, that statement that maybe you've heard before, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So here's, here's an interesting little snippet of joy. So at that point in time, as with many governments have over the years, at that point in time, one of the things that you see Caesar, or you, that you see governments do is that when they would stamp their coins, it was, it was understood that by law, that that currency actually belonged to the government. So Jesus is playing. He's playing these guys. Like, he's answering the question. He's saying, oh, yeah, you should pay your taxes. But really, he's saying it in a way of like, oh, who's, whose image is on that again? Oh, Caesar. Okay, well, yeah, then you should give Caesar what is Caesar's. It's already Caesar's. It belongs to him by law, and everybody listening to him understood that and knew that. So Jesus makes this statement. He answers, he answers the question correctly, and at the same time is making a point that, I mean, that's already Caesar's, so you're asking me if you should give it back to Caesar? Well, yeah, you should give it back to Caesar. It's his. It's his currency. It belongs to him. It has his image on it. Why put me to the test? Man, they should have just stopped. They, when, when he said that, they should have left. <laughs> they, should, they should have known better that this wasn't going to work out the way that they had hoped. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But then he doesn't stop with that. He answers the question, but he continues to speak about it. You see what he does there? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and... And to God, the things that are God's. And to God, the things that are God's. What's Jesus saying there? What's he mean by that? I mean, you think about that. I mean, like, what belongs to God? I mean, you know, there, we, we could probably work on a list right now. We could, we could start with our worship we could start with our lives, uh, all that he's given to us. Uh, I mean, you know, our obedience, uh, you know, the, you know, I mean, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And, and you know, where, where does it stop? What, what is, what doesn't, what is not God's? What has he not created? Jesus 
is smart. He knows where they came from. In fact, if you go back up to that word, they, <clears throat> the word that's used in the Greek, according to R.C. Sproul, is actually also a word that is loosely or is relatedly used to the word apostles. They sent. They sent. And this, and this idea with this wording being similar is that they really were sent. Okay, that's how it's trans. That's why we have it translated that way. That these were a people that were being sent. The Pharisees and Herodians didn't come up with this on their own. They were being sent to do this work to try to destroy Jesus. Just like apostles are sent, they sent. The coin, the denarii. We talked about that for just a second. I want to talk for just a second about what was on the coin. On the coin was, of course, the image of Caesar, but then beyond that were, was writing, much like, what we, much like what we see on coins that we have. And on the coin was written, of course, in Latin, and I'm not going to tell you the Latin. We don't want to go there. Uh, but in English, it said, Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. And then on the other side, it said the words, high priest. High priest. This coin, is kind of a, this is kind of a big deal. Like when Jesus asked for this coin, and he said, hey, somebody give me one of those coins. Now, first of all, you got to know that because of the the understanding of what the words were on the coin. This, was, this wasn't something that a lot of Jewish folks would even just have in their pocket. In fact, many of them didn't even want to touch one. They considered it idolatry to even have one or have to use one. Of course, the Roman government was making sure that they had to use them, and they would find ways around of like getting other people to use them for them and all this other kind of stuff, You know, I mean, all this crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, the reason being is because the word August right there stands meant for the Jewish people deity. It meant deity. So basically, when the Roman government you know, ushered in a new political leader their political leader, when they, when they voted them in, the Senate voted them in, and put them into power, they were saying about them, just like on the coin, all right, Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus, high priest. They were saying, we believe in you as our leader, that you are the high priest. And this, this was like, to the Jewish people, they're like, uh-uh. No way. Our God is God. Okay, and that's the God that you and I, you know, we believe in, we trust and serve. You know, that's, that's our God. And so for like the Jewish people, they're like, no, 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 we're not, we're not down with that. We don't even want to touch those coins. That's idolatry. It says high priest on it. Got some, somebody's face on it. He's no high priest to me. He's not God. He's some political leader. But to the Roman government, this was a way to like 
snub their nose at all of these people that they had overthrown. You know, I mean, so you can, I mean, you just imagine, like, you hear, you like, hear, like, the animosity that's going on between these groups of people. And again, like, the continuing of, like, this whole political climate that's going on at this period of time. And why, why the Jewish people so desperately wanted Jesus, the Messiah, to show up and, like, save them politically. It's all tied together to all of this stuff. Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus, high priest. August meant deity. They saw even holding one of these coins as idolatry. They're like, I don't want that in my house. I don't want that in my pocket. I don't want that in my little coin satchel. Uh Uh-uh. No, no. And Jesus asks for this coin from Jewish people. He says, bring me one of these coins. And then he holds it in front of these people. You see, you see like where this is going. Like these people are sitting there and they're like, I can't believe he's holding that right now. And then he's like, who's on this coin? Whose image is that? Oh, it's Caesar's. Oh, it's Caesar's. And so when Jesus says, render to Caesar, what is Caesar's? They know exactly what he means because that's the way they feel about it. They don't want to touch one. They don't want to have one. They don't want to have to deal with them. They see it as that is something that belongs to them. And we're already not wanting to pay them taxes. And so as much as we'd like to make this you know, message maybe about like, you know, we don't have to pay taxes or something, the truth is, is Jesus saying, is saying that we should pay taxes, Okay. And again, Romans 13, go check it out for yourself sometime. But the bigger thing that Jesus is saying is the second part of that statement when he says, after he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and then he says, and to God the things that are God's. The things that are God's. You see, Jesus is making the point He's making the point that there's, there's something more important here. He's answering the question. He's, he's, he's getting us to that point, okay? But then he's also kind of making it clear that we're, and, and he does this throughout his ministry, that we're still not slaves to those people. We don't, we don't serve the government like we serve the Lord or something. And then, and then on top of that, the whole, even the wording of render what is his to him is actually uh, like a copycat statement that's he, that he's using that was used uh, with the Gentiles back 200 years before this time during the Maccabean Revolt. Tom Wright talks about this. And, and in, this, in, in this Maccabean revolt, this is a whole like overthrowing thing, you know, and whatever, and big, huge thing. And, and part of that, and we have this actually historically, I don't see it as scripture, but for historical purposes, we have it in Maccabees 2.68, where it actually says, pay back what the Gentiles, what they deserve, and obey the law. So like, you know, we, we have this understanding you know, historically speaking, like this had happened. When Jesus uses this wording of render Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's, you know, they're, they're hearing it and then they're going, oh, 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 like the revolt. 
like the revolt, like that thing that happened, like a takeover, like is, what's, is Jesus leading a revolt? Is Jesus saying like there's going to be an uprising? Is Jesus saying that this, you know, like what's, what's all this mean? This is getting people jacked up. Getting people jacked up and, and some of the wrong people, and, and, I mean, it's all part, all part of God's will. Don't get me wrong. But it's getting some of these people jacked up in, in the way of not like, oh, yay, Jesus. Like some of them are like, oh, we got to kill Jesus right now because he's going to lead a revolt and this is going to be bad. And, you know, Jesus didn't really even answer the question we, the way we want him to because we really want him to say either yes, you know, you go pay your taxes and make all those people mad or no, so that we could go tell the government so that they could come and kill Jesus. And we didn't get either. And Jesus leaves us with and render to God the things that are God's. And today we're left asking the question, what does that mean? What do we, what do we render to God that is His? How can we do that? And I think that, I think all those things that we talked about, you know, our worship, our lives, all these things, I think they're all, I think they're all legit answers. I think it's good for us to ask ourselves the question of what does it look like for us to render to God the things that are His. Jesus is not allowing them to separate their lives from the things of the world. He's tying them together. He does this all through Scripture. He's saying live one life as believers, as citizens. As believers, as citizens. As believers, as citizens. We can do both. We are to do both. You know what that means? This is what that means. That I'm still a Christian no matter who I work for. That I'm, I'm still a Christian no matter where I'm shopping. That I'm, I'm still a Christian no matter where I live. That I'm still a Christian no matter, no matter anything, any situation that I end up in. I'm still a Christian when I walk into a voting booth. And I don't get all like, you know, big on the government stuff and all that stuff all the time. You guys know that. That's not my thing. I'd rather talk about Jesus or hot rods or hot chicken or my wife and kids, you know. But, but I'll say this. We should allow the things that God convicts our hearts about to lead us in how we do everything. That includes how we vote. And if there's anything that I'll ever take a stand on, and if you haven't heard it before now, you can hear it now, and that's abortion. I mean, right there is just, that, that is just an example to me of how we have to, as believers, go out there and do our duty to do things like vote and fulfill the call that God has put on our lives to be those people that he's called us to be, to enact change and be a part of the culture in making it better. Jeremiah 29 talks about that we, as believers, that we should be making our communities better, that our communities, our communities should be a better place because we exist in them. When we started the church, like that was huge for us. 
Like we, we, we talked about, we've talked about, we still talk about that passage of scripture all the time. And if you go and read that passage of scripture, it says stuff like that you would, that you would go and that you would build houses and that you would plant gardens and that your kids would marry kids there and, and all these things. And what it's saying is that you would have the opportunity to create positive change in a community that glorifies God. That our testimony and our witness would change something around us for the better. I think that's huge. I think that's huge. I'll tell you, here's something I'm convicted about. Talk about the government thing. And I think this is, I think this is worth noting. And I, I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of not doing it, not enough, and not talking about it enough either. I'll just be honest with you. I want to read this passage to you out of 1 Timothy 2, okay? The first two verses knock it out of the park. The rest of it are just so good, I can't not read it, okay? It's basically, that's what it is. So 1 Timothy 2, 1, and it says this. It says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. You You see what that's asking us to do, right? It's asking us as believers to pray for those people that end up in power. Now, I didn't ask, are they your people? Are they the ones you voted for? I don't, you know, we get into all those kinds of things, whatever. You know, I, I don't care. The truth is, is that God's word teaches us that we're called to pray for them. I've not done a good job of that. And I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like I've done a good job at leading other people to do that either. Because I've, you know, just like everybody else, I'm so frustrated sometimes with all that stuff. I just, again, let's talk about hot rods instead or something, you know. Timothy goes on. I'll read that again. Let's read verse 1 again. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made, first of all, for all people, which is challenging right there in itself. And in verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions. Like he's, he's being very specific with that for us. And we, we know what that looks like for us today. I mean, that, we don't have kings. We have presidents. We have governors. We have mayors. We have, we, have, you know, we have all these people in all these positions. And we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. And, verse, and then furthermore, it goes on. It says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Bam. We are so fortunate. We are so fortunate that God has loved us so much to send his son to die for us that we could live this life seeking to glorify him in all things that we do. That's the life that we're called to. That's the life that we're called to. That's the life that we get to be a part of. God has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Several years ago, <clears throat> I was at one of my family reunions, and I don't make a lot of those these days. They're 
always in Kentucky, and it's always on a Saturday, and just feels like it's hard to get away. You know, I hate to say that, but you know how it is. And got so many things going on or whatever. And I had a cousin of mine that uh, she said something to me uh, that day. She said, uh, she said, hey, I've got something that I want to bring to you. And I said, okay, what do you got? And she said, no, you know, I'll, you know, you'll see. And she wouldn't tell me. She wouldn't tell me what it was. I was like, okay, it's kind of weird, whatever. And uh, we don't see each other a whole lot. But, man, she's, she's sweet as could be. I mean, do anything for anybody. Uh, man, she's, she has struggled. She's had a hard time just with a lot of things through life. Uh, but, man, she loves Jesus. She loves family. Uh, she loves people. She gets a lot of that from her mama. Her mama is just ama- amazing. Um, and uh, my aunt. And uh, anyway, um, she, uh, she shows up at my house, I don't know, probably about a year ago. Uh, they, she and her mom came into town and uh, were uh, seeing my parents or whatever. My parents brought them over to the house. And when uh, they brought them over to the house, she comes in, walking in with a guitar case. And she's like, so you remember me saying that... Uh, you know, that uh, I got something to give you. And I was like, uh-huh. And he's just like, here it is. It's yours. And I was like, what? I was like, what? You're giving me a guitar? And she's like, yeah, it belonged to my dad. So a little backstory, her dad passed many years ago, and uh, he collected guitars. And uh, I don't think most of them were you know, real expensive guitars or anything, but he, he loved collecting guitars or whatever. And, uh, you know, anyway, he, you know, he had all these guitars. And so uh, over the years, she had also played guitar. And, and there was a point in my life where I drug a guitar everywhere I went and I played all the time, you know, and all this stuff because, you know, I wanted to be, you know, Bon Jovi or Sebastian Bach or something. And so anyway, I, uh, you know, she, she always kind of drew to that. And so whenever I'd show up up in Kentucky, she's like, play me something, play me something. And so we'd sit down and play and talk and sing a little bit or whatever. And in the middle of all that, you know, she is now at my house. She says to me, Chris, you're, you, you got to understand, you're one of the only people in our family that play any kind of music, much less you play a guitar. She said, my dad had all these guitars. And she said, you know, there's really only me and you and my nephew. And there are two guitars out of all the guitars that I want to make sure uh, stay in our family. And I said, Natalie, you, you're, are you dying or something? And she was like, no, no, I'm not dying. It's like, well, why don't you keep these guitars and you play them until something happens? You know, he's like, why? why? And so, you know, just a little backstory here too. She didn't have any kids or anything. And she said, you know, look, Chris, I don't have any kids. You know, I've, I've got all these guitars. There's these two that I want to make sure that they stay in our family. And she said, I want you to make sure that they stay. I want you to make sure that this guitar stays in our family. I'm going to give the other one to my nephew and I'm going to ask him to do the same. And I said, ah, Natalie. I was like, come on. I was like, seriously, like, I, you could, I mean, give it to me when you're old or something. I'm like, you know, what's, you know, what's the point? And she's like, Chris, I'm just, I'm just determined. I just don't want these things to end up hanging on a pawn shop wall somewhere. And finally, I was like, okay, fair enough. I got it. So she brings this guitar, and in the case, on the case, actually, there's a plaque that I, I don't know if uh, maybe... 
they had had it made for him or whatever when he got the guitar. Uh, this is a uh, this is a '94 model Gibson Dove. Uh, Gibson's not really my go-to on acoustics, but th- this is a nice guitar. And so I, uh, you know, as I was, you know, playing it and checking it out, and the other night Nathan actually came over and he needed to borrow a guitar, and uh, and so he'd been playing it some last couple weeks actually up here. And uh, I, uh, you know, he was like, "Man, this is what's the deal with this thing?" I was like, "Man, I don't, you know, it, it belonged to my, you know, belonged to my uncle and all this stuff." And he's like, "Man, this is this is a hundredth anniversary edition." Gibson Dove, like this isn't just like even a regular Gibson Dove, and he's like, and it's you know, and of course Nathan knows me more about them than I do. He knows a whole lot more about them than I do. He used to actually deal in them, uh, and obviously he knows how to play them a little bit. Uh, but uh, he uh, he's like, Chris, it's like brand new, and I said, yeah, I know. I said, I think he got it shortly before he passed. So on the case on the plaque, it says. Um, Carl Leslie, which was his name, it says Carl Leslie, uh, 1994 Gibson Dove. And one of the things that I love about this is, I mean, I, I can, I, I love stuff like this, but especially stuff with a story. I mean, get a, everything I got's got a story. Come over to my house, and I'll talk your ear off about it. Uh, but the thing that I love about this, obviously, is part of my family. And that she wants it to remain in our family means that, you know, that my children we'll get to fight over it or something, I guess, one day and, uh, you know, probably not speak to each other at times or something. I don't know. But they'll get to be curators of this particular piece. And as far as I'm concerned, the plaque will stay on the guitar case. And it's always going to be a reminder that this was Carl's guitar. It is Carl's guitar, even though Carl's not with us anymore. And now it's been loaned out into the family to stay for generations to come until Jesus comes back and that sort of thing. And I think about that, and I think about what Jesus was saying when he said, give me that coin, tell me who's on it. And they said, Caesar, and he said, render to Caesar's what is Caesar's. And that was an easy one. And then he said, render to God what is God's. And what is God's? What has he put his image on? And according to Genesis 1.27, God put his image on us. We're his. So the question remains for us today, have we ever looked at him and say, I'm yours? Natalie walked in the door that night. She said, here it is. It's yours. I, I, I was blown away. Blown away that she would do that for me. That she would want me to keep this. It's yours. And the, but yet the more important question, it wasn't about the taxes. It wasn't about the coin. It was about what God has put his image on, which is us, and whether or not we too have said, I'm yours. Take me. Lead me. Use me in this life for your glory. I trust that you have a plan, and I'm ready to go. And I want to see where we're going to go, and I want to see where you're going to lead me. You see, I didn't buy this guitar. It was just given to me. 
Somebody else paid for it. Somebody else had to pay for it because Gibson doesn't give these away. I think they still make them, but they don't give them away. And the truth is, is the same thing is to be true for me and for my sin. And that's that somebody had to pay for it, and that's Jesus. And he paid it all. He didn't pay some of it and say, I want you to pay some of it. He paid it all. The gospel says to us that salvation is a gift. And all we can do is take it. Not because we deserve it. Not because we've earned it. But because He loves us and He wants to be glorified through us. So I ask you the question today, have you said to God, I'm yours. Take me and lead me as I go. I know this, I want to be a part of a church full of people who come together and say, here are your things, God. It's all yours, every bit of it. Not just some of it, all of it. Take, take, take all of me, take all the stuff, take everything you've given me, and use it for your glory. Some of my favorite stories recently that I have heard are people that have been feeling God leading them to just do, even, even just this what seems like a small thing, but to give up their home to share it with other people that he would be glorified because they might be in community with other believers. That's an understanding that God has given us all the things to manage that we would use them for his glory. There's one more thing. Did you catch it? It's what happened after Jesus got done talking. It's what happened right after Jesus got done talking. What's it say? And they marveled at him. <laughs> I, I bet they did. I bet they were like, dang it again, Jesus, come on. Right? I bet they did. You know what I think we could spend more time doing and we'd come away better for it? Is if we spent more time marveling at Jesus. Remembering who he is. Remembering what he's done. Thanking him for who he is. Thanking him for what he's done. Allowing him to get the glory for the things that he's done in our lives. What an amazing opportunity we have to glorify God in just who we are. As the coin was the image bearer of Caesar, we are the image bearers of God.